Welcome to episode 103. Past trauma can feel like the Achilles heel of forward progression in life, right? And I know you feel it, likely far more often than you wish was true. And learning to navigate trauma is really scary, but also often an awakening experience. Additionally, an unsuspecting piece of that healing journey is food. We know that they say you are what you eat, but did you also know you feel what you eat? In this episode, we jump into what constitutes trauma, how trauma and post-traumatic stress affects and damages the physical body, and the importance of gut health in maintaining good mental health. I think this is one for all of us, to be totally honest. You ready? Let's jump into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I hope you're having an awesome day and that you have some delicious whole real food on the menu for it fuels you better than anything else will. It's my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want before December 2020. I'm really looking forward to today's interview because we have Dr. Lily Wagner, whom is licensed, whom is a licensed psychologist in California. She's a certified clinical trauma professional, certified in EMDR therapy. And for those that don't know, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which I've personally experienced before whilst diving into my own trauma many years ago. And she's also a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional who utilizes a variety of therapeutic modalities such as cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR to help her clients move past their past and achieve love, health and joy in their present lives. She also holds various health coaching certifications and particularly she specializes in working with trauma and PTSD and also those who have autoimmune disease and chronic illness and that was sort of where it initially caught my eye because I saw a bunch of Lily's content where she was talking about the impact of poor nutrition and particularly foods on the state of the brain, bodies and mostly our mental health. So I'm I'm certain that today will result in some brain expansion for all of our minds. So <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Lily. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really good considering everything that's happening in the world. But <laughs> yes, well, that is it's good that you're good in this crazy time. I'm I'm really <laughs> excited to yeah learn from you today. So I'm gonna just jump in the deep end, like everybody's starting to become really aware of the impact of trauma on their lives or, or even just, you know, open the conversation to identifying, oh, okay, I had a traumatic past and people didn't realize it. So, do like, do we spend our lives according to our past traumas? Do we live our lives according to what happened when we were children? So, it's, all, it's not an easy all or none answer. I want to say yes, and then at the, at the same time, we can say no. Uh, and yet there are like ramifications for those who have experienced prolonged or complex trauma versus those who haven't. So, um, of course, there are multiple um, issues that come with trauma. And, of course, it impacts our mental health, physical health. And when we have, uh, there, when we have like multiple reasons why some people may have more difficulties with past traumas versus others, and that can be anything from genetics to family upbringing, to our social support system, mental illness, current mental illness, and or other health issues that may complicate things. And um, we have to look to see if there's just been one traumatic event 
uh, which is maybe just a car accident, or if there's like prolonged uh, traumatic events or multiple traumatic events that could create a complex trauma. And that could also determine whether our past is going to come along with us throughout our lives or not. So the complex traumas are when we have, let's say, it's like layered of layers of different traumas, such as domestic violence, a car accident, and a natural disaster or a pandemic. So not all of us uh, live our lives according to our past traumas, and yet they can play a huge role for many as to how life moves forward or if we actually get stuck. Yeah, right. I guess that leads me to think, which is potentially a difficult question to answer, what is a trauma exactly? Because like there's so many things that people have, you know, challenges people have had present themselves in their lives of which some are life altering and defining in their personality traits. Some they had the appropriate amount of resilience at the time to work through. So like, how do you as a psychologist identify what constitutes a trauma? So trauma is unfortunately a deeply disturbing and distressing event. And not only does it get carried in our mind, it also gets carried in our body. And when we talk about trauma, we're looking at uh, abuse of all all types, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse. Um, we're also looking at big car accidents. We are looking at war, you know, the, the military. You know, we, we see a lot of veterans that come back with a lot of trauma and definitely natural disasters, a fire earthquakes, floods, and uh, even a pandemic, you know, prolonged pandemic that impacts our lives, those are traumatic. And some people, you know, they may experience a loss that is traumatic as far as a death in the family or even a pet. You know, I just was recently working with a lady who had a very traumatic death of her dog. Another dog attacked her dog and the dog passed away in front of her eyes. And it was just, that's a, that's a very traumatic event. That's heavy. Yeah, it's very heavy. And I, I'm a dog owner. So for me, I was like kind of, kind of, uh, vicariously traumatized. And, and I want to go into that a little bit and explain that as well. So vicarious trauma is when you have, for example, first responders that are responding to these events that are going on and they're picking up other people's experience of the trauma. So as a therapist, we experience that as well. So as our clients are t- giving us this, the stories of their traumas, we are picking that up too. So I can visualize when somebody's describing something, I can visualize that event happening. It's not the same as actually being in the trauma, but just that vicarious trauma that, that, that we pick up is also something to consider, especially for the first responders out there as well. So it's, 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 it's basically a very uh, deeply disturbing and distressing event that we called trauma. And then when we go into PTSD, that's a post-traumatic stress disorder. And again, if there's a stress disorder and there's a stress response, we need to look and see what is creating that. And for some people, a little thing could be traumatic to them. And it depends, like you said, on their resilience as well. Yeah, well, that sounds really heavy as a um, psychologist as well. It's like you're a sponge and you spend all day just (laughs) absorbing other people's trauma. That must be so heavy to carry. It is. It is. And that's why it's important for us as therapists to really practice a lot of good and consistent self-care. Otherwise, we're going to get caught in that rabbit hole and then not be able to help our clients at all. And in that rabbit hole, I guess I'm curious how the 
trauma or PTSD translates into physical health problems? Because I guess we hear a lot about, um, you know, psychologists, but also these days a lot of energy healers and spiritual healers that talk about the altering of the of your biology through traumatic events and the altering of your DNA um, and how, you know, it, it, sh- it changes your energy or your, your um, toroidal field. These types of terms get sort of shared a lot these days. Um, so, I'm really curious how sort of from your, you know, experience and knowledge, how does trauma affect the physical body? So, it's interesting because it also affects our gut. You know, our gut is reactive to that trauma as well. So that's another big aspect of trauma is that our gut is impacted. And as we know, you know, the gut and the brain are like best buddies. <laughs> the gut is our second brain. So it's like whatever happens to the brain, the gut's going to react to it and vice versa. And yep. and I'm sure you've, you've experienced something scary. And where do you sometimes feel it first? It's your body that responds right away, Right. Uh, and some people lose their their gut movement at that time when something distressing happens or something scary happens. And so a lot of times trauma is carried in our body. And our body is what we think of when we're talking about, you know, health. We're thinking of illnesses. We immediately just say, oh, our body, we're sick. And people don't always think about the mental aspect. They immediately go to the physical aspect. So our our body remembers physiologically what has happened. And it can, just like the brain, get stuck in that heightened sense of danger. And that's what's going on. There's all these alarm bells going off in our brain as well as our body that something's dangerous, something doesn't feel right. And this could happen if somebody's had uh, past trauma or or, are experiencing PTSD where they get hypervigilant about things because that body is like in that heightened sense of like, oh, this is wrong. Something's not right. Um, and especially like, uh, and I'll use the veterans as an example, you know, if they just hear a knock on the door, maybe that reminds them of gunshots. And that immediately the body just goes into panic mode and that boosts that cortisol. And sometimes if they've had prolonged PTSD, maybe the cortisol not, is not even responding, but there's a lot going on. The adrenal glands are acting out and our body is responding. And that's when when we experience trauma, our brain can also shut off and we can have this thing called dissociation and it basically checks out because what is happening is so overwhelming. Right. However, the body doesn't shut down. So we can experience the trauma physically even though our mind has checked out and maybe we can't even recall the incident. And this creates a disconnect and the body starts to speak loudly with symptoms such as gut issues, heart problems, even autoimmune diseases. And so when we endure like a traumatic event or multiple traumatic events in our lives, our hormones start to react to the onslaught of the, the danger signals or messages that the brain and body are setting off. So again, trauma, PTSD, all of these are just stress responses. You know, our body is responding to the stress that then get, gets activated and the survival system kicks in and our sympathetic nervous system gets fired up. So when there's trauma, our heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up and our breathing increases and our muscles are ready to do something, fight, flight or flee. Um, so there's a whole lot of dysregulation in our entire biochemical and physical systems. So it makes it uh, it makes sense why, specifically, if we have chronic or complex trauma, that 
it can create multiple health issues because it can disrupt, dis- disrupt multiple systemic balances. This conversation reminds me of the, the book, The Body Keeps Score. Yes, um, yes, I was going to mention that book. I yeah. that book. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's brilliant. Excellent. I've just yeah. <laughs> recommended it to a few uh, clients and friends recently, actually. But yes. do you think the, uh, the, the where in the body that the physical symptoms show up, do you think that that can be related to a particular type of trauma? And, and I guess what I'm ref- referring to or pulling on a little bit there is sort of um, like when we talk about sort of the Ayurvedic uh, medicine and stuff mm-hmm. like that from India and talking about chakras, yes. that a lot of people or they associate that different traumas that come from different chakras in the body relate to different things sort of in your life and different organs in, in traditional Chinese medicine. They, you know, if you've got problems in spe- specific organs, it can relate to a particular type of trauma. Is In your experience, do, do things show up in sort, certain organs or locations in the body depending on the type of trauma? Sometimes, but not all the time. I don't think there's enough uh, research out there that specifies that. And I haven't seen... Um, anything pretty consistently to say yes 100% to that so sometimes yeah and we hear about you know like uh the the couple that has been married like 70 plus years and then the wife passes away and then the husband the next year has a heart attack and passes away so that's like what heartache and you know it's it's kind of related uh but we don't have enough of that evidence and enough research done to put those two together and just say you know if you have had you know I don't know uh, something, uh, a traumatic event where there was a hurricane that a specific part of your body is going to react to that. So we don't we don't have enough of that. But I know I I, I understand what you're saying, and it would make sense. Uh, but I think our bodies are a little complicated to Agreed. make that correlation yeah <laughs> very complicated yeah, totally and there's a lot of other factors and one of yeah. which of course is um like diet and nutrition but i'm really curious for your experience with clients and obviously your professional opinion about the impact of diet culture that we have in the modern day about what to eat when to eat and these types of things and how that can be traumatic for people's journey as well because I know that lots of clients that I work with have been, you know, through the 80s and 90s in hardcore <laughs> diet culture and be as skinny as, as, as possible and, and stuff like this. So, I'm really curious how that, that can be traumatic to the experience of trying to be healthy um, and damaging long-term. Yes. And, you know, diet is a nasty four-letter word and uh, I think over the many decades we have created that. Uh, yeah. Because diet just used to mean, okay, this is the way I eat. This is what foods I'm eating. But now it's just this nasty four-letter word. So everything that you're looking at, books and everything, this diet, that diet, and there's so many diet books out there, it, it causes, first of all, a lot of confusion. And then yeah. the diet culture has actually caused people to make mean comments or be mean to each other, such as, oh, you're fat or even you're too skinny and and this creates a whole slew of negative thoughts that can then catapult a yo-yo dieting spiral or unhealthy eating behaviors or even create eating disorders. Um, a lot of times I get clients where the parents have been the problem within their lives because of this diet situation, you know, uh, forcing their kids to either uh, not eat a lot or making fun of them because of their weight. And, and this creates a lot of negative self thought, 
a lot of those cognitive distortions. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And, and it really sits in the brain and creates this depression and anxiety and negativity. And their, their relationship with food is now just messed up and corrupted because of all that. And they can't, they can't seem to get past it. And unless they get really appropriate help from someone who knows about, you know, a healthy eating behaviors or eating disorders or even past traumas, because when you add all that up, it just builds into this big ball of fire that is hard to put out. Yeah, I find it challenging myself as a sort of practitioner in that health and nutrition space because a lot of the people I work with have been through this sort of diet culture world and are damaged by it. And whilst I totally support the the movement of, you know, sort of diets not existing at all, a lot of these people, in fact, need some type of regulation on their intake so they can improve the state of their body. So it becomes this sort of, yeah. sort of walking on eggshells to not trigger an emotional response, but also provide a structure that is supportive of overall health and healing. Yes, yes. And you make it a win-win, right? I mean, that's the best way to approach that. It's it's not that, oh, we're going to, you can't eat this, you know, kind of approach. It's teaching how to incorporate and, and like bring in the healthy food so that we can crowd out the unhealthy food. And you start with the simple, small things like, let's just, you know, let's just get rid of the you process things that could be a culprit here. And then you go slowly from there from, with some people. Some other people are like pretty gunko. They're like, okay, I'm just going to do it because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. But not yeah. everybody responds that way. And that's why it's important to also, you know, bring in the past, like uh, adverse childhood experiences, because that is also creating more of that negative self uh, thinking, which create, which comes from shame. You know, they feel shameful when they, overeat or when they have a, a, a binge eating disorder or if they have bulimia, there's a lot of shame that goes with eating disorders. And that comes from family, that comes from the whole diet culture. And of course, now with uh, social media, oh boy, you know, then, then yeah. that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> and, and further into that, um, I watched one of your talks uh this during the week, and we were talking about the impact of um, different foods, obviously on our gut, but then to influence our mental health. So I'm wondering if you can just sort of dive into that topic of different foods and how they impact the state of our our mind and our you know mental wellness. Yes. First of all, I want to thank you for doing your homework and looking at that. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> anytime, anytime. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, our diet, you know, you are what you eat. And uh, Hippocrates knew what was up when he said, you know, let thy food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Our food choices can have a tremendous impact on our mental health because the food that we ingest directly influences our gut. And which in turn has a direct influence on our neurotransmitters that are ma managing our moods. So dopamine and serotonin are the two big ones. And specifically, they, they can have huge swings when we eat the wrong foods, such as sugar. We know that's a big culprit. And that in turn creates instability, not just with insulin levels, but our mood as well. So we can get depressed. We can get anxious. We could have symptoms like ADHD. Um, so eating healthy is also imperative when there's trauma as well, because we need to help calm the brain down, not heighten it with more anxiety or depression. And by making poor food, poor food choices, 
we are also depleting our body of those important and appropriate nutrients that the body needs to, let's say, energize our mitochondria or feed the healthy bacteria in our gut or keep a healthy immune system, especially now we need that immune system. And the more we can provide, say, nutrient-dense foods, and this is also individual, you know, because some of us are more sensitive to certain types of food than others, and that could also yeah, be absolutely. because of our gut situation. So what is appropriate nutrient-wise for us, not according to Joe Schmo that has, he does a keto diet and it works for him, doesn't mean it works for everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so the more we can get, we can get an ask of our mind and body to provide for us when we eat these nutrient-dense foods. Our brain will be sharper. Our body will not break down on us as fast. And we'll just feel good and actually feel happier because now everything's balanced out. The serotonin isn't going on a spike, you know, up and down, up and down. Our dopamine isn't going up and down, up and down. And it just creates a nice, even way of our hormone levels to be so that we feel calmer. And it also has the, those micronutrients, the important ones like magnesium, calcium, all these things that we can get from our food that is so imperative to our mood. So food plays a huge factor and it's important to address that first and foremost and then consider other factors. So when clients come and talk to me, my patients come and talk to me, I'm asking about what they're eating. That's big, especially if they have specific symptoms. You know, I can't sleep at night. I have high anxiety. Well, what are you eating? You know, well, I have like uh, five coffee drinks a day. <laughs> like, well, that's not going to help Whoa. you sleep, right? <laughs> you know, coffee is no longer like a six ounce or eight ounces here. It's, you know, we're talking 10, 12 ounces. That's a lot. <laughs> hey, hey, my listeners, what's up? If you're enjoying the episode thus far, please consider writing a review and dropping in five stars on the Apple podcast page of this show as it really does help the visibility of the podcast to guide other people to find it. And as well, it helps other curious people just like yourself prior to tuning into the show to see whether or not this podcast is a good fit. And I, of course, hope that it is. And so, that's really the best way to support our work and what we do here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. Oh, and I also love seeing you share the episode on Twitter. Instagram or Facebook and I often reshare those posts. So, be sure to give me a tag at Matty Lansdowne. Okay, let's get back into the episode. Oh, and the half-life of caffeine in the body is yes. six to eight hours. So, you really yes. need 16 <laughs> hours before the body's totally clear of it. <laughs> exactly. So, they're working away. They're tired because, of course, they're not sleeping good. And then here, you know, at 3, 4 p.m., they're like, I'm going to take a shot of espresso. I'm like, ah. Know if that's going to help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know some. I know some people that um, have an espresso after dinner. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know it's just yeah. yeah I, had I somebody, don't do that. Yeah, coffee's not my thing. <laughs> I had someone contact me, just one of my followers, um, that was like, "Maddie, I know that like I need to change some things, so can you help me? This is my routine, and I'm not moving the coffee that I have at 10:30 p.m." <laughs> like under no circumstance and I said so you were asking why you wake up through the night <laughs> when you asked me that question but in your delivery of the information told me you refused to change the one thing that we need to change <laughs> exactly and it's a hard one I mean that's an a caffeine is an addiction you know totally it's highly addictive <laughs> yeah who would no, be it's like hey it gives me so much energy why should I give it up <laughs> 
And I'm curious as well, in the context of trauma and in like the space of nutrition as well, is there any correlation or relationship between groups of nutrients that people are lacking that equip them either to equip them better to like work through the trauma or to build the neurotransmitters and and hormones that support resolving trauma is that is that a thing from a nutritional standpoint it can be so you know we need to make sure we have enough healthy protein because that builds our uh, um, amino acids and those help with the building blocks of some of these neurotransmitters and uh, magnesium is a big one when it comes to anxiety and sleep so if you are lacking magnesium then that might be something to consider adding uh, because we, I don't think we get enough of it in food, and a lot of us are magnesium deficient. Yeah, uh, of it's very, vitamin, very common. <laughs> yeah, and of course, vitamin D is a big one. You know, omega-3s are really good with depression. Yeah. Um, so if we, again, if our omega-6s are much higher than our omega-3s, we're going to have some problems. And yep. uh, a big one, of course, is the foods that we eat that cause inflammation. And that inflammation isn't just in our body, it's also in our brain. And I don't know why we separate brain and body. It's the whole thing. It's like when we say body, we should, it's the whole thing. <laughs> our brain is part yeah. of our body. So. Everything inside our skin, right? Everything, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Equally, you could say the whole thing is the brain as well, right? True, true, because the brain controls a lot of it. So does the gut. It's complicated. <laughs> It's so complicated. <laughs> There's so many angles, yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. And I absolutely love talking about this, like the relationship between nutrition and mental health because, yeah, so many people, as you just highlighted, separate the two and that emotions and, you know, traumas and these types of things are just some esoteric thing that sits outside the body. Right, And, right. and what you eat is actually, you know, it's not related whatsoever. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the gut-brain connection just to help listeners understand understand how what we put into our guts really does translate up into our brain? Well, uh, let's see, what is it? 85 to 95% of our serotonin is actually made in the gut. A lot of people think, oh yeah, it's all in the brain. No, man, all that food goes in the gut and that's where it's made. And then it gets shot up into the brain with our vagus nerve. So that's like a big one right there to say, oh, well, my, my feel good neurotransmitter is in my gut. So how can I feed the gut so that I can make sure that neurotransmitter is being built up and made so that it can actually get sent to my brain so then my moods are going to be stable. So that vagus nerve is plays a big factor in connecting the mind, I mean our brain and our gut. So that's like that's like the simplistic explanation. And yeah. there's um that uh vagus nerve, uh, what is it called? A polyvagal therapy is a, a new uh, therapy, a treatment for PTSD, trauma, and those things. I haven't really delved into that, but that's on my list of uh, books to read next. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this kind of give, gives a credence to the term like having a gut feeling about something yes. because you have a reaction and a lot of the hormones and neurotransmitters are released in your stomach. Yes, and, and that gut feeling, you know, it could be good gut feeling like butterflies in my stomach. Uh, I feel like I got punched in the gut. Um, all those terms that we use is because that's what we feel it. Like uh, um, IBS has a huge component there with the gut and the brain. You know, the, there's anxiety and then the gut response. You know, you get uh, diarrhea or even constipation. Um, 
IBD, which is the inflammatory bowel disease, which is an autoimmune condition, can also be triggered by stress levels. And that is impacting the gut. So keeping our microbiome as healthy as possible with the healthy bacteria and all the little critters that are in there is vital to our overall health and well-being. There's a lot of pathways that they're just finding out about how all these little bacteria talk amongst each other and then they send messages to the brain and it's just like a sci-fi movie. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's like the stuff that I read I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, it's Who would have thought? <laughs> but oh, now absolutely. they're finding Yeah, now now they're finding, you know, we have a microbiome in our eyeballs and and of course our mouth has a lot of uh, bacteria and it's so important we're going to find even more factors that are going to come out because of these little critters in our body and there's actually more bacteria in our body than we have cells in the, I mean or what is it DNA I don't know but there's a whole lot yeah, of that. I know. <laughs> I yeah totally there's yeah. Yeah, there's a, for every one human genetic, there's 100,000 bacterial genetics yeah. in our gut, which is like, are we actually thinking exactly. for ourselves? No, we're not. <laughs> so we're just bags of water and bacteria. <laughs> right. So whatever I do, I'm just going to blame my bacteria. <laughs> the good thing is you can mostly reprogram it, which is uh, helpful <laughs> nutritionally. Yes. And I'm sure you've heard of the, uh, the GAPS diet, the gut and psychology syndrome diet. Yeah. And, and so that, that's been very helpful for those who have ADD and autism because, you know, you're getting rid of all the junk stuff. You're getting rid of things that could cause the inflammation and the reactions that happen within the, the gut that create that kind of behavior. So somebody, you know, you have the DNA, you are born with autism. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't help it with healthy diet. And, and I don't want to use the word diet. So it's <laughs> with healthy food choices, with nutrition. And, and I used to work with, when I was uh, doing my internship, my supervisor was really big on health and nutrition and mental health, which is great because that just catapulted me into that arena. And we, we specialize in ADD. And one of the things that we started having people take out was milk products. You know, casein is a big issue, especially if there's any kind of inkling of ADD symptoms or uh, autism. But we specifically worked with ADD kids and, you know, you take them off milk products, specifically casein, and you have to read labels. And if there's casein in it, you, you don't use that. And um, There's so many things that have casein in it, which is the milk protein. And we took them off for like two to three weeks. And then the parents, the parents were like extremely surprised at how much their behavioral problems were reduced. And then we're like, okay, well now try to give them milk again. And then we saw the behaviors come back. So it, it makes a big difference. Some of these products out there, even though they are healthy for some, for others, it creates a lot of inflammation and a lot of re reactions allergies and it could be allergies that are not the kind of allergies where you need an EpiPen for but it's really a lot of sensitivities that we can't break down casein a lot and some cultures um, and ethnic groups can't break down casein that much so we have to look at those factors and look at the ancestral aspect of it and see you know where people came from because you know in the northern countries well there was snow and cold weather you can actually keep milk but in the 
warmer southern countries, you know, they didn't have refrigeration, so you didn't keep milk and you didn't drink milk. So then your body's not used to breaking those down. So looking at our past and where we come from is also a big factor in determining what foods we should ingest. Yeah, and it's like it's above 70% of people that don't have the gene to break down, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, the milk and dairy products and i've never worked with somebody male female old young that didn't feel better after removing (laughs) dairy and natural health practitioners and obviously people like yourself are so aware to the damaging effects of dairy and it's it's really uh controversial to say for many people because you know going to the supermarket and or the or the corner store and getting your white bread and dairy two of the most inflammatory (laughs) foods that you could ever put in your body is 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 such a part of western culture right and so it's people often don't know how they'll survive without uh milk you know in their lives or the dairy dairy products um but it's i've never ever heard somebody say i i removed dairy and i felt worse everybody feels better right or they'll say oh you know what and and i do this once in a while i I want ice cream it's okay you know once in a while not every day you know uh but you know some people think that just by taking lactate to help with the breakdown of the lactose sugar in milk then they can digest that i'm like yeah but there's other factors in milk that just don't work out that way with lactose uh, with lactate and Part of that is, for example, like for me, if I have, if I decide to have cheese, I cannot have it later at night because I can't sleep. Yeah. So look at that. But that's like a big signal. Like your body's yeah. not breaking things down and now you're wired because your body's like freaked out about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I, yeah, I know a few people that have that same challenge as well. And it raises the body's temperature because it's got mm-hmm. extra work to do and it's all your detox, doc, all your detox pathways are switched on. And, and plus, then you get into another rabbit hole of a conversation about the life of the, the dairy animals, right? Like, right, uh, right. The, dairy, the dairy cows, which is they have so much excessive estrogen mm-hmm. in them and vaccines and et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many reasons why it doesn't support optimal physical and mental health i don't think but right. to without getting too far off course here i'm really curious to um hear your opinion and you mentioned in the beginning um about the pandemic and so i was talking with another podcast guest um a couple of months ago uh, about this and we we're talking about the fact that after this is over PTSD is going to be huge because people are going to be scared of one another. People are going to be, even now, like people are too scared to be close to one another. And this is going to be, have a really lasting impact. And so what's, as a you know professional in psychology, what is your thoughts on how we progress out of this to not be widely affected by being scared of one another? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's about coming out with a... a one thing is like, I, I need to believe in our scientists out there that really care and want to get this resolved and get people back uh, to health and well-being and uh, create vaccines and all of that. But it is a scary time because a lot of us haven't experienced this to this extent. You know, we've had little outbreaks of things here and there. Uh, and yes, there go- there's going to be, and, and unfortunately it's been politicized so much, it's just getting ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be those that are like, I don't trust people. I'm, I'm getting into that state where it's like, I don't know. Totally. <laughs> like, I Me trust too. myself, <laughs> you know, but Can't I don't relate. know. <laughs> like people say, oh yeah, you know, you can actually go to like uh, over here we're in Las Vegas right now. And the casinos are open. And I'm like, that's just crazy. What are they thinking? (laughs) But people are going, they're experiencing things. And some are getting sick, some are not getting sick. But it's 
it really depends on the individual and looking at things and, and exploring what is the fear that we're having. I think the fear of the unknown is a big one. And I like to bring in uh, stoicism a lot into my practice because one of the things that I like about stoicism is constantly reminding us, hey, you know, we can't control everything. Yeah. And if we can let go of that need to control, then a lot of fears start to subside. We can't control other people. We can't control other people's thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, emotions, or anything. All we can do is control ourselves, our thoughts, our beliefs, our, our emotions, our responses. And for me, it's like, yes, even if the world goes bonkers, I have things in place and I'm prepared. You know, I have my mask, I have my gloves, I'm cautious to be able to still continue to live according to how I like to live. So that's where we just need to take a step back. And it's like, eventually we'll get through this. There's no question about it. Our ancestors have. And so we can look back at our ancestors and like, you know, they've been through a lot worse stuff and they made it. So I have that internal result. I just need to bring that into the forefront and utilize it because we have it. It's in our DNA. It's in our genetics that we can utilize that that what that resolve that our ancestors had you know my great great grandparents or whoever went through even the spanish flu that uh, went through that other people who have gone through you know genocide holocaust so many things that people have experienced and and we could just remember you know you know i do have resilience i i do have it in me it's just we've just been too comfortable and we've forgotten that we have that in ourselves. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of that. Um, this, is, is it the serenity prayer? It's like, grant me the serenity yes. to accept <laughs> the things I cannot change, the courage and, to change exactly. things I can and wisdom to know the difference. It's yeah, I think. And um, I guess, you know, there's, as you said, it's highly politicized and, and irrelevant of the standpoint that you have on this issue. And, and I know that the, the issue is very different here where I am in Melbourne compared to the US and, and in all the different countries that listen to this show. But whichever side of the debate you sit on, I think accepting that, what, what you've just shared is just, you know, yeah. accepting what you can't change, but taking control of what you can uh, is what everybody needs to do in this context. Yeah. And also, we just need to also take another step back and say, okay, what is my social support system like? Maybe connect with people that are going to give you that positivity versus constantly being that being in that negative, and also maybe uh, consider just being kind and gentle to each other. We're all human beings. We're all in this together. I don't care what anybody says. It's like, well, <laughs> no, you're doing this, and it doesn't even matter. Because in, in the long run, you know, we're going to end up needing each other at some point. So we have to take that into consideration. We are all humans. We all bleed red, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and so I've loved having you on the show today. And I know Thank that everybody's going to love what you've had to say. So where can everyone find you online? So uh, the best way to reach me is my website. It's lovehealthjoy.com. And uh, my Instagram is love.health.joy. And I'm also on Facebook, lovehealthjoy. Um, I'm usually not doing a lot of social media now, just, just because it's time consuming. And I, I just like... There's too much going on where I'm just like, I need a break from all of this social media stuff. So I, I've taken some time off and that's healthy. And that's another thing, you know, everybody needs to take a little break from social media. There's a lot of stuff out there right now and we don't need to get caught up in the rabbit hole because, you know, again, 
You don't have control of other people. You just have control of your circumstances and yourself. Wonderful. Well, for everybody listening, I will put all of Lily's uh, handles and contacts and websites down in the show notes below. And if you've loved this episode, make sure you take a screenshot, share it into your social media stories or with a friend that you think might benefit um, and give us all a tag. We'd love to see who's listening into the show. Um, And of course, uh, before we wrap up, Lily, one more question. What is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about? To find real solutions, uh, shortcuts, magic pills, snake oils don't work. And we are complicated beings, both physiologically and psychologically, so that Band-Aid fixes are usually temporary and can hide the real problem. So just find the real solutions that work for you and for your own overall health and wellness. And usually, you know, we may need help doing this because... As Brene Brown said, Ed, we really weren't meant to do this alone. So having great support, getting the right caring help is vital, and we deserve that self-care and compassion. There are fabulous resources, books, and professionals out there that can help. So reach out and connect. And I know, I know that can seem difficult, and in the long, but in the long run, it's totally worth it, and you are worth it too. So, so find find real solutions. Let's let's skip all these shortcuts because you know in the long run it actually causes havoc for us wonderful all right lily thanks so much for being on the show and hopefully we can organize you to come back soon and um yeah i hope you stay safe in this crazy time (laughs) thank you (laughs) you too (laughs) (laughs) thanks see you later thanks (laughs) thanks for listening to the how to not get sick and die podcast if you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much. And I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.